Dunhuang, situated along the ancient Silk Road, where fine arts and divine beliefs merged with the natural world. It's where the East and West interacted, and where the world's largest Buddhist art gallery still fascinates and amazes people today. A place where stories of life and death, love and hatred, passion and desire, faith and sacrifice have been generated and told for two thousand years. Buckle up for our podcast: Why We Love Dunhuang, the one and only podcast that can take you to the fantasy world of Dunhuang and beyond through our audio tour. Listen and subscribe for free on major podcast platforms. Why we love Dunhuang? You will have your answers. 听，鸟儿的欢鸣，溪水的婉转。听，爱与恨，悲与喜，苦与乐，得与失。听，跳跃的文字，灵动的声音。You're listening to Morse Reed. 欢迎收听轻松调频美文阅读 ，Motor Read， 我是沈听，让我们在这里一起听美文学英语。今天我们将会听到英国著名作家 J.K. 罗琳的一句话，中国清代文人袁枚的一首诗歌《台》（The Leek Flowers）， 以及由英国女作家弗吉尼亚·沃尔夫所写的一篇文章《Defoe》（笛福）。More to read. 用文字抒发感情，用文字诉说故事，用文字穿越古今。Daily quote. 如果你不喜欢阅读。那么你可能还没有找到适合的书籍。J.K. 罗琳。J.K. 罗琳，一九六五年出生于英国的格温特郡，毕业于英国埃克塞特大学，是英国著名的小说家、电影编剧及制片人。是全球畅销的作家之一。1989年，罗琳有了创作《哈利波特》的念头。1997年6月，推出《哈利波特》系列第一本《哈利波特与魔法石》。1998年与1999年，他创作了《哈利波特与密室》和《哈利波特与阿兹卡班的囚徒》。2001年，美国华纳兄弟电影公司决定将小说的第一部《哈利波特与魔法石》搬上银幕。2003年6月，罗琳创作出第五部作品《哈利波特与凤凰社》，两年后推出了第六部《哈利波特与混血王子》。2007年7月推出终结篇《哈利波特与死亡圣器》。2017年12月12日，罗琳被英国皇室授予荣誉勋爵。同年，其参与创作的舞台剧《哈利波特与被诅咒的孩子》在劳伦斯·奥利弗奖独揽九项大奖。If you don't like to read, you haven't found the right book. J.K. Rowling.
。如果你不喜欢阅读，那么你可能还没有找到适合的书籍。J.K. 罗琳。您正在收听的是轻松调频美文阅读《More to Read》，下面让我们一起走进诗歌的世界。More to Read， 闭上双眼，静静聆听，敞开心扉，慢慢品味。Poem of the day。袁枚，白日不到处，青春恰自来。苔花如米小，也学牡丹开。The leek flowers, Yuan Mei. Where the sun does not arrive, springtime does on its own thrive. The leek flowers, like rice tiny, rush to bloom, like the peony. Tai,出自清代文人袁枚。中文版本由南海之声的主持人米亚牛为您朗读。英文版本由Mark 祖籍浙江慈溪乾隆十四年及一七四九年合称为钱家三大家又与赵毅张问陶并称姓林派三大家为清代骈文八大家之一文笔与大学士纪云齐名时称南辕北纪我们今天读到的这首诗歌台是袁枚创作的一首咏物诗这首诗生动地表现了清
，咏叹他受本性和境遇的种种限制，表达了对不能够得到阳光照耀却兀自执着生长的青苔所表现出的同情和悲悯，以及对生命的尊敬和敬畏。在这首诗中，诗人一直是一个旁观者，在关注着青苔的生命状态。虽然也体察青苔的心情，但是从诗歌主旨上说，则是旁观式的、评论式的。好，下面让我们再来听一下这首诗歌的中英文版本。这次我们听到的是一个不同的英文译本，译者为徐景成。白日不到处，青春恰自来。苔花如米小，也学牡丹开。Mosses， 一万美。Where sunshine's hidden, youth comes unbidden. Mosses bud like rice, yet bloom like peonies. Beauty of Words. 今天我要为大家选读的文章是英国著名女作家弗吉尼亚·沃尔夫于1919年为纪念《鲁滨逊漂流记》出版200周年而写的。这篇文章的内容其实是评论《鲁滨逊漂流记》的作者迪福所写的另外一批小说，特别是摩尔·弗兰德斯和罗克萨纳这两部以下层妇女为题材的小说。好，下面呢就让我们一起来读一下这篇文章中英文版本的节选片段。中文版本由刘炳善翻译。Defoe by Virginia Woolf， 迪福，弗吉尼亚·沃尔夫。The fear which attacks the recorder of centenaries, lest he should find himself measuring a diminishing spectre and forced to foretell its approaching dissolution, is not only absent in the case of Robinson Crusoe, but the mere thought of it is ridiculous. It may be true that Robinson Crusoe is two hundred years of age upon the twenty-fifth of April, nineteen nineteen. But far from raising the familiar speculations as to whether people now read it and will continue to read it, the effect of the bicentenary is to make us marvel that Robinson Crusoe, the perennial and immortal, should have been in existence so short a time as that. 写关于百年纪念的文章，最不放心的就是自己要写的会不会是一个远去的幽灵。自己只能预告它就要完全消逝。不过，关于《鲁滨逊漂流记》，这种忧虑不仅不会存在
，就连想一想也是可笑的。因为尽管《鲁滨逊漂流记》到了1919年4月25日，可能已经200岁，但是绝不会有人去猜想，现在大家还读不读这本书，以后会不会继续读下去。当此《鲁滨逊漂流记》出版200周年之际，我们感到奇怪的倒是，这部万古长新的作品竟然才只流传了这么短短的一段时间。The book resembles one of the anonymous productions of the race rather than the effort of a single mind. And as for celebrating its centenary, we should as soon think of celebrating the centenaries of Stonehenge itself. Something of this we may attribute to the fact that we have all had Robinson Crusoe read aloud to us as children, and were thus much in the same state of mind towards Defoe and his story that the Greeks were in towards Homer. 这本书像是人类所创造出来的一部无名氏作品，而不像是某一个人的精心结传之作。所以，要给《鲁滨逊漂流记》庆祝两百岁生日。就跟要给史前的巨石阵庆祝数百岁生日一样，这可能是由于我们做小孩子的时候都听人念过《鲁滨逊漂流记》，我们对待笛福和他的生平故事的态度也就跟古希腊人对待荷马差不多。It never occurred to us that there was such a person as Defoe, and to have been told that Robinson Crusoe was the work of a man with a pen in his hand would either have disturbed us unpleasantly or meant nothing at all. The impressions of childhood are those that last longest and cut deepest. It still seems that the name of Daniel Defoe has no right to appear upon the title page of Robinson Crusoe. And if we celebrate the bicentenary of the book, we're making a slightly unnecessary allusion to the fact that, like Stonehenge, it is still in existence. 我们从来不去想想还有笛福这么一个人。倘有人说《鲁滨逊漂流记》是一位作家写出来的，我们听了不是觉得不高兴，就是觉得毫无意义。儿童时代的印象总是持续的特别长久。留下的记忆最深，所以我们仍然觉得，笛福的名字似乎没有权利在《鲁滨逊漂流记》的书名页上出现，而庆祝这部书的两百周年纪念，也就跟提到史前的巨石阵依然存在一样，是有点不必要的。The great fame of the book has done its author some injustice. For while it has given him a kind of anonymous glory, it has obscured the fact that he was a writer of other works, which it is safe to assert were not read aloud to us as children. Thus, when the editor of the Christian World in the year 1870 appealed to the boys and girls of England to erect a monument upon the grave of Defoe, which a stroke of lightning had mutilated, the marble was inscribed to the memory of the author of Robinson Crusoe. 这部书的鼎鼎大名使它的作者受到了不公正的待遇。一方面，书只让作者享受一种隐名埋姓的荣誉；另一方面，它掩盖了这么一个事实：作者还写了另外一些作品，而这些作品这么说大概没错，在我们小时候是不会有人念给我们听的。所以在1870年，当一次闪电打坏了笛福的坟墓时，
，基督教世界的主编向全英国的男女少年呼吁，为他重建墓碑。以后的大理石碑上只刻着“纪念鲁滨逊漂流记”的作者。No mention was made of Mole Flanders. Considering the topics which are dealt with in that book, and in Roxana, Captain Singleton, Colonel Jack, and the rest. We need not be surprised, though we may be indignant at the omission. We may agree with Mr. Wright, the biographer of Defoe, that these are not works for the drawing room table. But unless we consent to make that useful piece of furniture the final arbiter of taste, we must deplore the fact that their superficial coarseness or the universal celebrity of Robinson Crusoe has led them to be far less widely famed than they deserve. 对于摩尔·弗兰德斯，则提也不提。对这种遗漏，我们也许感到愤慨。可是，考虑一下，在那本书里，以及在罗克萨纳、辛格尔顿船长、杰克上校等书里所写的题材，我们也就不必觉得奇怪了。我们可能会同意笛福的传记作者赖特先生的意见：这些书都不是放在客厅桌子上的作品。但是。除非我们认为客厅里的桌子就是文学趣味的终审裁判官，否则我们就不能不对于这一事实表示惋惜。这些作品本来是理应知名于世的，却因他们表面上内容粗鄙，加上《鲁滨逊漂流记》又名闻遐迩，结果使他们淹没不彰了。On any monument worthy of the name of monument. The names of Mo Flanders and Roxana, at least, should be carved as deeply as the name of Defoe. They stand among the few English novels which we can call indisputably great. The occasion of the bicentenary of their more famous companion may well lead us to consider in what their greatness, which has so much in common with his, may be found to consist. 其实，在任何一块刻着笛福名字的像样的纪念碑上，都至少应该把摩尔·弗兰德斯和罗克萨纳这两部书的名字刻上去。他们属于少数几部无可争辩的英国小说巨著之列。所以，当他们的这位更为出名的伙伴二百岁纪念的时候，我们最好还是考虑一下他们和他相通的伟大之处究竟表现在什么地方。Defoe was an elderly man when he turned novelist, many years the predecessor of Richardson and Fielding, and one of the first, indeed, to shape the novel and launch it on its way. But it is unnecessary to labour the fact of his precedence, except that he came to his novel writing with certain conceptions about the art which he derived partly from being himself one of the first to practise it. 迪福到了老年才写小说，他是理查森和菲尔丁的前辈，实际上还是促使小说形成、推进小说发展的先驱者之一。但是他的这种领先地位在此不必细数，只用提一下：他写小说时关于这种艺术所持有的某些概念，部分的是从他作为最早小说作者的实践中获得的。The novel had to justify its existence by telling a true story and preaching a sound moral. This supplying a story by invention is certainly a most scandalous crime. He wrote. 
It is a sort of lying that makes a great hole in the heart, in which, by degrees, a habit of lying enters in. Either in the preface or in the text of each of his works, therefore, he takes pains to insist that he has not used his invention at all, but has depended upon facts, and that his purpose has been the highly moral desire to convert the vicious or to warn the innocent. 当时，小说要证明自己的存在权利，就得说出一个真实的故事，讲出一条正确的教训。笛福写道。凭空虚构故事真是一桩可耻的罪过，这是撒谎。只要他在你心上打开一个洞，撒谎的习惯就渐渐钻进你的心里。因此，他在自己每一部小说的序言或正文里都不厌其烦地强调说，他丝毫也没有运用虚构方法，完全依据事实。而他的宗旨一直不离开想使坏人洗心革面。好人受到提醒的高尚道德愿望。Happily, these were principles that tallied very well with his natural disposition and endowment. Facts had been drilled into him by sixty years of varying fortunes before he turned his experience to account in fiction. I have some time ago summed up the scenes of my life in this distich. He wrote, "No man has tasted differing fortunes more." And thirteen times, I have been rich and poor. 幸运的是，这些原则正跟他的天性和才能合拍。六十年当中，他经历了种种命运变化，无数事件烂熟于胸。此时，他便在小说里将自己的经历加以利用。他写道：“不久前，我把自己一生遭遇概括为这么两行诗句。”谁也没有经受过这么多命运的拨弄。我曾经十三回穷了又富，富了又穷。The fear which attacks the recorder of centenaries, lest he should find himself measuring a diminishing specter and forced to foretell its approaching dissolution, is not only absent in the case of Robinson Crusoe, but the mere thought of it is ridiculous. It may be true that Robinson Crusoe is two hundred years of age upon the twenty-fifth of April, nineteen nineteen. But far from raising the familiar speculations as to whether people now read it and will continue to read it, the effect of the bicentenary is to make us marvel that Robinson Crusoe, the perennial and immortal, should have been in existence so short a time as that. The book resembles one of the anonymous productions of the race, rather than the effort of a single mind. And as for celebrating its centenary, we should as soon think of celebrating the centenaries of Stonehenge itself. Something of this we may attribute to the fact that we have all had Robinson Crusoe read aloud to us as children, and were thus much in the same state of mind towards Defoe and his story that the Greeks were in towards Homer. It never occurred to us that there was such a person as Defoe, and to have been told that Robinson Crusoe was the work of a man with a pen in his hand would either have disturbed us unpleasantly, or meant nothing at all.
The impressions of childhood are those that last longest and cut deepest. It still seems that the name of Daniel Defoe has no right to appear upon the title page of Robinson Crusoe. And if we celebrate the bicentenary of the book, we're making a slightly unnecessary allusion to the fact that, like Stonehenge, it is still in existence. The great fame of the book has done its author some injustice. For while it has given him a kind of anonymous glory, it has obscured the fact that he was a writer of other works, which it is safe to assert were not read aloud to us as children. Thus, when the editor of the Christian World in the year 1870 appealed to the boys and girls of England to erect a monument upon the grave of Defoe, which a stroke of lightning had mutilated, the marble was inscribed to the memory of the author of Robinson Crusoe. No mention was made of Mole Flanders. Considering the topics which are dealt with in that book, and in Roxana, Captain Singleton, Colonel Jack, and the rest, we need not be surprised, though we may be indignant at the omission. We may agree with Mr. Wright, the biographer of Defoe, that these are not works for the drawing room table. But unless we consent to make that useful piece of furniture the final arbiter of taste, We must deplore the fact that their superficial coarseness or the universal celebrity of Robinson Crusoe has led them to be far less widely famed than they deserve. On any monument worthy of the name of monument, the names of Mo Flanders and Roxana, at least, should be carved as deeply as the name of Defoe. They stand among the few English novels which we can call indisputably great. The occasion of the bicentenary of their more famous companion may well lead us to consider in what their greatness, which has so much in common with his, may be found to consist. Defoe was an elderly man when he turned novelist, many years the predecessor of Richardson and Fielding, and one of the first, indeed, to shape the novel and launch it on its way. But it is unnecessary to labour the fact of his precedence. Except that he came to his novel writing with certain conceptions about the art, which he derived partly from being himself one of the first to practice it. The novel had to justify its existence by telling a true story and preaching a sound moral. This supplying a story by invention is certainly a most scandalous crime. He wrote, "It is a sort of lying that makes a great hole in the heart, in which, by degrees." A habit of lying enters in, either in the preface or in the text of each of his works. Therefore, he takes pains to insist that he has not used his invention at all, but has depended upon facts, and that his purpose has been the highly moral desire to convert the vicious or to warn the innocent. Happily, these were principles that tallied very well with his natural disposition and endowment. Facts had been drilled into him by sixty years of varying fortunes before he turned his experience to account in fiction. I have some time ago summed up the scenes of my life in this distich. He wrote, "No man has tasted differing fortunes more, and thirteen times I have been rich and poor."
感谢您收听今天的美文阅读节目。您也可以通过云听 App 在线实时收听美文阅读以及轻松调频的其他节目，并随时聆听节目回放。想要查看美文阅读节目文稿，欢迎您访问网站 radio.cgtn.com， 找到美文阅读板块即可。今天的节目就到这儿，我是沈听，我们明天见。